Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you with addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, or even improving sleep. Founded by a father and son in recovery, they truly understand the needs of the sober community. Learn more at exactnature.com and as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive 20% off. Exactnature.com. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic six years from my last drink. My sobriety is such a huge part of who I am. I decided that I needed to help others find their voice and share their journey too. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head on over to thesobrietydiaries.com where you can join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending part of your day with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. I took last week off, but I'm back with part two of my discussion with Chelsea Rose Fitzy. You know her. You love her, as do I. And spoiler alert, we are starting a podcast together in which we are co-hosting. It is called Unqualified Opinions with Chelsea and Nate. We are launching with three episodes on Friday, May 27th, which just so happens to be my 40th birthday as well. So head over to iTunes or Spotify Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the show so you don't miss the launch or any new episodes every Friday. So Chelsea and I go a bit deeper today into our recovery practices and her struggle with bulimia over the years. So let's not waste any more time and open the diary on part two with Chelsea Rose Fitzy. I'm super serious around my mom. No idea why that is just is what it is. And then my friends, depending on who, but yeah, I guess when I really think about it, it's my characters that are goofy and silly, but me, I'm very serious. And for a second, I was like offended. I think, I don't know why. Well, I think a lot of times if people, I've had this conversation recently with my supervisor, because we are going through a lot of transition at the office and there's like a lot of like uncertain things. And we had a meeting last week and she was giving me feedback about my performance and me as like a leader and a coworker and all of these things. And I can't even say that anything she told me was incorrect. So it's almost like when someone holds a mirror up to you or is able to identify or like tell you things about yourself, not interested, not interested at all. I'll allow myself to do that. Yeah. And I will be worse than you'll ever be. Right. So I don't need you coming in here and tell me what I already know deep, deep down. Yeah. See, Lynn just came out. I don't like it. <laughs> my old, my boss, I work for her still, but I just do the social media. Yeah. And she um, sat me down probably, I would say, 
three years in working there full-time six days a week hosting like managing hosting and um social media and then serving tables so i did a lot there i wore a lot of hats and expo i'd kitchen i'd expo mm. in the kitchen sometimes my favorite position by the way expo oh yeah it's so much control love it. you are in control <laughs> so much control i yeah. Bla- like poor little Nick. I used to be so mean to him. I lied to him a lot. She sat me down and she said that um, I'm too fast, too efficient, too quick, too like overbearingly controlling. Mm-hmm. And that I bring my home life to work mm. and that I'm very vivacious and loud and it, too much. And it's just everything that i can't hear because of my old yeah you're like my past do you know that i've heard this my entire life and yet it still bothers me and yet it still triggers me and yet i do nothing to change Mm. i don't know that i could change myself but i could do a persona at work but when somebody at when a somebody in a higher position than me at a restaurant or a boss in general, like I, I bet this could be in any position, any job I'd ever have. But um, when they have constructive criticism that speaks to who I am and doesn't like who I am to my core, who I believe is like a great ass, like attribute of mine, uh, yeah. and they see it as a negative, I shut down and I want to like be the worst employee you've ever seen. But here's the catcher. She signs my paychecks. <laughs> Fucking change. Yeah. Right. If you want to act that way, open up your own restaurant and be that way. Coming from a business perspective, like if I was her, I'd probably say the same thing. Like you don't run this place. I do. You have to follow my, even if she was doing a great job, just because I didn't like the way she was on my toes, I would have to say something. And I, and I, but I, knowing what I know, I still cannot control myself. So that brings up a good point because we've both had, I think, interesting days actually if i can quote your text what did you say shit show or hell something it's been a day from hell so (laughs) (laughs) what what coping skills do we use now right in addiction booze was the one coping skill or coping mechanism that i used when i had days like this so how do you recover from a day from hell or what coping skills do you use to not drive yourself crazy to make sure to tomorrow's a better day no it's a great topic um so i liked so you have you have a one year longer than i have on sobriety yeah. so i'd be interested to know if you figured that out that out yet because <laughs> right now i do what i can to get by in those moments i will say this i don't think about drinking like yeah. when i texted you that i'm having the worst day ever or in those moments where it was in the moment of like feeling like hell, yeah, I didn't once think about drinking. Um, my priorities have changed and my priorities are large enough that alcohol doesn't even cross my mind. Not because like subconsciously I know that that would like help a drink would like help in the moment, but because I literally don't have the energy to think subconsciously yeah. about Amen. like a quick <laughs> fix and we need to reset this day. So I would say that like, that's key. I would have to, I think now, instead of thinking of going for a drink or a quick fix, I still want to find a quick fix, but in a way of like resetting the day, not forgetting the day or just like not trying to escape it or denying it or shoving it away. 
So I drove to the pharmacy instead and bought myself the biggest chocolate bar I could find. And it was expensive and um, imported. Yes. Dark chocolate. And I ate it. No, I hate dark chocolate. I do too. I'm a milk milk chocolate all the way. All the way. Mil- milk chocolate macadamia nut. Whole macadamia nuts. Indulged. And Indulged. I ate it in the parking lot listening to our podcast. Listening to myself. <laughs> so I guess I use food. I use whatever I can that's going to work um, to reset the day. And that did like driving around and getting that chocolate. Like I had the intention, like, well, after I eat this chocolate, I'm going to feel better. <laughs> and, I, and like, whether or not that was what half like worked, yeah. I went home and I, and, and we had a great rest of the day. Yeah. But I, think that, I used to drink in moments like that. Right. Exactly. And that is a win in my book. Uh, I think that, I mean, I do the same thing. I have to remember that we have the ability to to reset our days. Exactly like you said. It's mm. funny because I was like feeling sorry for myself for the first half of the day as well. And I got on TikTok during my lunch break and Reese Witherspoon posted this TikTok today. Did you see it about choosing happiness? No. So she posted that like her mom taught her when she was like 10 or something that we have the ability to choose happiness every day and that we Mm -hmm. have to follow through with that and we have to do things that will make us happy. But we have that ability. And I think, you know, if we forget that we have also that um, sort of power to restart our days, uh, that we're we're just sort of like sitting in our own shit. I hear that in the room sometimes, like sitting in our own shit and not getting out of it and not coming up with a plan to make it better or make ourselves happy or choose happiness. That is the theme of my life. I say the saying about sitting in your own shit. I say yeah. that so many times that you'd think I created that saying. <laughs> I I've always been this way since I was young. And I can pinpoint the first time I utilized that belief system of not wanting to sit in your own shit for very long. Yeah. When I was however age, between eight and ninth grade, I asked my mom to, if I could move into my dad's, but in a kind of way where it was, I'm going, yeah. if you'll let me. And um, I don't have much memory other than that. And when I I don't pry. Like, I don't want to know how that conversation went. I don't really remember. I just remember the feeling of, I'm going to go whether you say yes or no. Mm. And I didn't want to live there anymore. Um, Who she was married to, I didn't. And I knew at that age that I was not going to sit in my own shit any longer. Like, I had to take control of my own happiness. Mm. And nobody was going to do it for me, clearly. So I had to go find it. And um, spoiler alert, when you move from your mom's house to your dad's house, you're still going to be in a home that's not complete. Yeah. So that was a, that's a whole other podcast. I, was just I mean, do you say, have a part three? Uh, yeah, but that's no, a whole well, other thing. <laughs> for, for future projects, maybe. Well, you utilize another very important coping mechanism that I'm aware of that you didn't mention. Mm-hmm. And that is meditation. I wanted to talk oh, right. a bit about meditation and, and the importance of that in, in each of our recoveries. So 
Are you willing to walk us through your meditation practice and sort of what that looks like and uh, the importance of it in your recovery? Absolutely. I want to start off by saying that I I haven't read any books. I didn't read any how-to, uh, what do you call those, blogs, YouTube, self-help, um, not one. The only time I had ever looked up how to meditate, I guess, yeah, would yeah. be when I was giving birth. I looked up hypnobirthing mm. and I read and I read a couple of books um, and joined a class online and did a lot of YouTube research because I had full intention on birthing using hypnosis instead of drugs. Wow. Um, so that would be the only time I ever looked up. So uh, from the last podcast I met with you the other day, I told you that I started as a young child within nature. So I had the seed planted and was able to come out of self at such a young age, but I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't call it meditation back then when I was a child, I didn't call it anything. It happened naturally as a way to kind of, like you said, to reset because everything was so loud and I had no control over anything. Like no child has control, um, over their life. Right. Right. And so that was like the one moment where I did have control and to be quiet. I was very like the hyper kid. So um, that grounded me and it always happened in nature. And then when I got sober, um, I had never meditated, uh, not through my teens or 20s, but I didn't lose my connection with nature. So I'd, like if I was like outside drinking, I could be out there all night long outside. Same. That was by myself, like Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. bottle of wine, bottle of tequila by myself outside in the stars and the wind and the waves. Like I could do that. So I was, I guess, in my own drunken way, (laughs) kind of like being, having this like moment of silence with nature, but in sobriety, I started, um, oh, I, I realized very quickly that I could not sleep. I did not sleep a wink in detox. Wow. That last time. And in the first two days, sure. Cause you have to, like you're right. on lithium, like right. you're going <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> but once that wore off and they stopped giving me the little green pill, mm-hmm. um, I didn't sleep. And, uh, when I got home, I was so nervous because I really like sleep and I, <laughs> me too. That's why, I mean, that's why I drank till I passed out. <clears throat> And so one night, I don't know what came upon, what came across my mind, but I thought, I want to see if there's like any sort of like hypnosis for sleep. And I found this person on YouTube and Michael Seeley. Mm. Do you know any of his stuff? I don't. And um, anyway, I'd never heard that last name before, but I gave him a try and I have not, I did not go a day without using his um, countdown, his hypnosis countdown for sleep for one year, exactly 365 days. Wow. Mm-hmm. Just these headphones plugged into my phone, the YouTube underneath my pillow. And I would make sure the YouTube is on. Don't play the next video. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I started practicing meditation and it really took a while for me to create my own hypnosis. Cause that's what meditation is. Yeah. Um, and so then I created my own I close my eyes. I envision myself putting like a little, um, like a, I have a big bag of sand and I put it around my body and create a circle around me in my bed so that, um, 
And if there's somebody else in my bed, I make sure it doesn't include them in my mm. mind, in my eyes, my mind's eye. Yeah. And then I kind of like lock it in and then go back into my body and then start my process. And I um, count backwards from 10. And when I get to one, I count to three going forwards. At each count to three, I go down a level. And after a while, I just get deep into meditation and I stop counting. I've done this for other people. It works like within two minutes, they're out. They're gone. Goodbye. See you later. Wow. Is that and something I invented you still it on do? My own yeah. Every single day, twice I a day. Love it. love it. Um, I don't have to do any of that anymore. <laughs> the This thing, I don't have to yeah. count. Um, once I do my little circle around, I just have to concentrate for like a minute or so, maybe. I'm not really sure. But I do have like a timer set on. Um, I listen to different frequencies. I just started doing this. It's probably been over a little bit over a month. And what happens is your pineal gland opens up and starts vibrating and you can feel it. Yeah. Pulsing. Because mm-hmm. I always feel this like deep pressure and like a buzz. So you mentioned that uh, we recorded our first episode together. We've both heard it and have had this strange, well, I don't know if it's strange, I think appropriate or, and now I kind of look at it as, as expected almost, but this sort of connection and feelings about the first episode. So what were your, what were your thoughts on our first chat? Loved it. (laughs) Loved it. But That's why where, we're back. <laughs> but, but what I I tried to listen to it, the third time I listened to it, I tried to listen to it as somebody from a perspective of what I would perceive as what my peers would think, right? Yeah. yeah. And I could hear my sober friends being like, even though they would never, they would never say this to me, but I imagine they'd be like, well, where's God? Mm. You did not mention the word higher power. You didn't say God. You didn't say higher being or creator what's what's going on there like what are you not spiritually connected to higher power and the answer i don't think you're gonna like too much Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i have i the last time i told my last two times i told my story in a meeting i didn't say anything about higher power either because i feel connected with my higher self. I feel solid in the fact that I know I'm not God. And um, between those two things, I kind of don't put too much pressure on myself in demanding a belief system larger than that, because I would be making it up Mm. because I wouldn't I would be saying it because you're expecting me to say it or because I'm in a certain space of where, I'm where everybody's saying the word God or everybody's saying higher HP, higher power. Right, right. And I, and I would be saying it because I want to be part of, but I wouldn't be believing what I'm saying. I'm not saying I don't believe in a creation or a, a higher, um, something greater than me. Yeah. Because I do. And I'm very much connected to that. But I have a strong belief system in like my higher power, which I consider myself. Um, and I consider it to be you. It's so hard to explain because it's because it's unexplainable. Yeah. I feel like I'll just use God so that way you can understand. I feel like God is everything. Yeah. And not just one 
instant and one time where I'm so significant that he kept me alive that night while I was trying to drink myself to death. Yeah. It's like way bigger than that. I don't think it was coincidence at all. I honestly truly feel like um, everything happens for a reason. And there's some type of like kinetic energy law to the universe that I don't understand. And I couldn't possibly comprehend. And I'm not supposed to. Right. We aren't. So I, I refrain from saying that God did this to me because I feel like it's like a group effort. <laughs> I feel like it's like, it's so hard to explain and wanted to share this with like everybody that could possibly hear this podcast is like, I'm trying to say to you, yeah, it's so hard to want to share a part of you. That's like, you feel like you might get judged or you, I already project like a comment section. Yeah. And I'm because I know how these words sound, but if you're in my brain, you wouldn't be that big of a deal. I don't like giving my sobriety to God. Yeah. I, I, but it sounds so, um, from like the things I learn and read, I'm not supposed to talk like that because like, as soon as you start talking like that, I have goosebumps because I know I'm right. Yeah. I could start crying because I'm so afraid to talk about that. I think it because, it, it goes yeah, go perfectly with, I mean, part of what we talked about in the first episode is just that evolution. And I didn't even tell you this, but the episode, in full transparency, the episode comes out tomorrow and the title of it is The Ebbs and Flows of Recovery with Chelsea. And it's just about like the ebbs and flows of our recovery. And perhaps you will feel differently in the future, perhaps mm-hmm it will change in the future. And I totally get being afraid to speak it because I said for so long that like, I didn't want to change anything that I was doing for my sobriety because it worked for X amount of years. You know, I went to a meeting every day. I talked to my sponsor two or three times a week. I hung out with other alcoholics that were in the rooms. You know, I read my literature. I prayed to my higher power, like I did these certain things as part of a routine that I never wanted to change because I knew that it worked and I was scared to change any of them for fear that I would relapse and not just not keep doing them, but be able to speak about them because of exactly what you're saying. Yeah, that feels good to know I'm not alone in that. I don't want it to come across as I think that I... I'm so one with myself that I'm able to save myself and there's nothing else that I need besides myself and me, me, me. That's not it at all. But I have come to this conclusion from meditating. And what is meditation besides it's prayer? I'm not praying for anything. I'm, I'm, I set intents, intent. Like I, I make an intent every time I meditate. That's prayer. Yeah. Um, even if I, the intent is to just get out of self and not think for 10, 15 minutes or an hour. But most of the time I come out feeling a connection to something that I can't explain. And I choose not to give that a definition because I can't explain it. Yeah. And then when I'm proud of my sobriety and I, and I used to say like, for the grace of God, and I just don't. Mm-hmm. I say things like I fucking worked hard. You did it. I almost died. And I, for some reason I didn't. And I'm so afraid to lose that, that I decided to keep it. And as selfish and as stupid as that sounds, that's what I've always thought. 
even though I was speaking a different language. Outwardly, I wanted to you to think that I believed God saved me that day or a higher power. But back then when I said that, I didn't even know what I was talking about. Right. I didn't either. Mm. And now I'm finally starting to feel that connection that people were talking about, but I don't think it wants me to give it the credit. We can take ownership of the work that we've done. We can take ownership of not picking up a drink for over five years, over six years. I mean, we can take ownership of doing those hard things. I think that's warranted and fucking do it. I, if I have any shot at staying sober, I need to be true to myself. You know, what's so interesting too, is from what I gather from the way other people talk about their experiences, it could have just mean that I haven't experienced that yet. Yeah. And that is okay because um, even though I am not having a hard time accepting a higher power, if that's the case, because I feel like I do accept that higher power and I connect to it every single moment that I'm breathing. Um, But if I haven't fully made myself aware of that yet, it's still looking after me, even though I don't fully understand it and can't explain it. Isn't that part of a God of your understanding or a higher power of your understanding? Because A, we probably don't understand it, or you can apply it specifically to your own experience? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could put me in that category of a, like a God of my understanding. Yeah. But where I, but where I don't feel like I have the common thread with other people is where I thank God every day for me being sober. I don't ever think that thought. Mm. I thank myself yeah. for not picking up a drink and not screwing up my life. As you should. I but, do as well. But I don't thank God. I think you would be surprised at the amount of people that think very similarly to you. I would be surprised. Yeah, I think you would be. This could be the most (laughs) uneducated, most un... (laughs) This, like, you could really be like, this person, there's no way this person meditates twice a day. Trying to say that she is the reason why she's sober and not the all-creator power of God. It's your experience. That's what we're here to talk about. Do you want to talk eating disorder? I like to talk about why it started. Okay. I think that um, there's a misconception there that could be heard from a perspective of somebody who's come out the other side. Yeah. Good point. I My whole life, since the eating disorder started as a teenager, I think 14, um, I always thought it was a weight issue. And um, a self-assessment. I, th- I, I believed that one day I looked in the mirror and I thought I looked fat. I mean, my whole life, this is what I thought. Um, I didn't think about it then, obviously, because um, I don't remember a thought process about what happened and why I started. I was, I, bulimia is what I suffered from for many, many, many years. So anyway, I, my therapist, I'm very honest about it with my therapy and my psychiatrist even though it's not something that I struggle with anymore actively, it's still a part of you. Just like any other addiction, you can put it down, but it's always there um, in the back of your, your mind. And um, the habits are really hard to forget, especially eating. It's like 
you have to eat. So if there's ever trigger foods or, um, for me, it's no specific food. It was always an amount. Mm -hmm. So, um, not even binge eating, but just a feeling of full, like a certain amount of fullness. I can be full, but not too full. And it would just be a certain amount of fullness. And it was always just dinner, never any other meal, never any snack. Even if I felt full at breakfast, it was never an issue. It was always dinner. And for a long, long time, I always thought that it was because when I was a kid, I must have thought I was fat or overweight, or I didn't look like a Snagulera, Britney Spears, whatever was going on at the time. And my therapist the other day asked me, why did the eating disorder start? And I said, because of weight issues. And she's like, well, how much did you weigh? And I was like, I was a size zero. And I was like, you know what? And I literally didn't talk to her for five minutes. She's just staring at me in the (laughs) iPhone. And I could feel her eyes looking at me because I'm over here looking in my kitchen. This is all virtual, obviously. And um, I look back at her and I go, fuck you. Poor Stacy. And um, she, you know, I say fuck you a lot to her, but I just couldn't believe no one's ever asked me that before. I said, without giving away too many details to like hurt feelings of parents, because this is not anybody's fault. It's a product of how my brain decided to handle a situation that many children can handle or many young adults can handle, or any human can handle, but I couldn't. So it's not, it's nobody's fault, but um, I found a way to have self-harm so I could feel in control because I had tried on a different avenue to have control over my life and I couldn't find it. So when I moved into my dad's, I still realized that I still was being placed somewhere else with the same surroundings. So my dad, my stepmom and my siblings, they were their children. So my half sisters, but I never consider them that. And they never will be the freaking sisters, but the feeling of being inserted into their kind of groove, right? They had their like foursome groove going on. I was only there on Thursdays and every other weekend. So I went from feeling out of groove from a place where I felt mistreated to a place where I've kind of gotten thrown into their groove and I'm kind of like playing catch up um, in without their knowledge, feeling not part of again. Yeah. And it's not their fault. It's not. Um, This is going to happen to somebody who doesn't have a solid foundation of love, trust, all those things. Yeah. I found a way to do self-harm. And when she asked me when it started... And then I started to realize trigger warning that I tried cutting for a long time and that, and I was a combo eating disorder cutting and it kind of the eating disorder won, and I gave up the cutting and I stuck to eating disorder. And I suffered with that all the way up until my mid twenties, maybe a little bit before that. And the adults in your life, for me, at least, um, the adults that weren't educated on it, which nobody walks around educated on eating disorders. It's not normal to be, that's not something that's like over coffee talk. I mean, it's a serious neurological or trauma response to something. Um, So it was more coming of a place of like, obviously she has body issues. You're so skinny. Why are you like this? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, or you're, you look perfect. Why are you doing this? Why are you wasting the food or whatever? Um, so your family was aware that it was happening? Oh, I'm not talking about my family. I think okay. I'm talking about like the vibe of eating disorders in general. Like if it was yeah. on like, remember like full house or yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, 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 or like, what was the other one? Seventh heaven or like yeah. shows on TV where it was perceived as like this horrible thing where women had body issues. Yes. That wasn't my case. And I didn't know that until like last week, this whole, my whole life, I always thought it was about being thin, but it's not at all because I'd never lost weight. It was just the one meal that I did. It was literally about at the end of the day, me doing something to fucking have five seconds where I feel that I can control my outcome. I can control my own actions. I can control what's happening to me, what stays inside my body or not. It's all about control. And I did not know. And um, I have now been working with my therapist to heal that little girl who just wants so badly to feel home. Mm. It's not as dramatic as I'm making it. I eventually did find my groove with my dad and my stepmom and my mom got divorced and moved into the town I was living in. And I saw her every day and I was with, you know, a very, very happy upbringing when, when I moved into my dad's I think I a lot of times forced that smile and still felt in the back of my mind, just still not part of whether that was just the damage was already done or it was really happening. I don't know. I think that has a lot to do with my alcoholism. I think that being in situations, there's so many things that contributed to me being a drunk. Um, but I can imagine that now let's talk about relationships and how I am horrible at them. <laughs> because I'm always searching for this home. And so I'm going to date people who can provide that to me instantly. And um, I did that serially. And once that feeling was gone, I would be gone. Goodbye. Peace. I want the financial stability, the roof over my head, the feeling of a home, the feeling of we're a little unit, family unit. Um, for like two or three years tops and then I'm out and alcohol fits in because I don't really love these people. I didn't know what love was until I met my husband. I think I loved everybody I've ever been with in a different way, but not like this. This feels like home. But what's interesting is, um, and I'll quote my dad. So my husband and I started dating and, um, we're sober we go to visit my family in New Hampshire on a ski trip. And uh, we're in North Conway. And my dad looks at my husband, whom he's met twice, and says, thank you for bringing my daughter home. And he goes, oh, yeah, no problem. And I was like in the corner, like crying because he was right. Like whatever my sisters will tell you till they're blue in the face, the same exact thing that it's the Chelsea that they remember when they were little kids and mm. just this totally authentic younger version of myself that I let go a long time ago. And he brings this safe. I feel so safe with him and so connected, like solid that he's not going anywhere ever. 
even as just at, when he was just my friend. So I was able to be like goofy with him. Like I told you, like we used to make those funny videos. Like I was like literally like my authentic 100% self with him. And no one else had ever brought that out of me. That sense of home, that sense of like, I'm so safe. I can be whoever I want to be. And I had never experienced that till him. That's why it's easy to stay sober with him because I'm not missing anything. Wow, that's... And I'm able to like concentrate on myself and help fix myself. I think when you said like you're not missing anything, that's pretty deep. It's hard to like admit when you're shit. <sighs> you're not though. No, but you can be in the moment. I yeah. can remember and own up to like being a shit. Yeah. Not being the most kindest person to go find out what's better for me because that's what I, I told you. I live my life that way. I don't sit in my own shit. I will. I refuse. That's why I go to therapy. That's why I didn't stay. I, I got sober in my twenties. I wasn't going to do it any longer. I couldn't, I like could not do it any longer. I did not want to be in my own shit any longer. I didn't want to die. No, we don't make mistakes. So that's good too. Yeah. I wish that was the case. I did I a lot of fucked up shit in sobriety. Me too. Because guess what? We're people. We're pe- we're humans. We're sober humans. It's because you're 40. <laughs> it's true. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check out today's show notes for all of the information on today's episode and how to connect with our guests. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at thesobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcasts, and on Instagram at the Sobriety Diaries Pod. Check back every Wednesday for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends. <laughs>